Colossians chapter 3, Luke chapter 12. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Colossians chapter 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Luke chapter 12, the parable of the rich fool, beginning with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger, larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to this man, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect. Well, 13 years ago, I took Zachary and a bunch of college students who were on their spring break to hike the Grand Canyon. So we flew out to Arizona and took a van up to the Grand Canyon, and uh, we dropped down into the canyon. And we were hiked from one rim to the other and then back. And the, the entire hike took about five days. And probably the most challenging part of the journey was not the hike itself, but deciding what to take. Because no matter what you decide to take, your tent, your pillow, your book, your flashlight, your food, whatever you take, you carry the entire time. And I can tell you when you're at the bottom of the canyon, you have to keep putting a 50 or 60 or 70 pound pack on your back. It gets tiring when you're hiking out of the canyon. So it was it was a big challenge to to decide And we all had to be very selective of what we needed to put on and what needed to be left behind on this journey. And really, this is a little picture of what's happening in the book of Colossians. Uh, Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, this new church plant, a small group of new Christians. They're, They're people who've responded to the gospel. And now they're on what I'm calling an infinite journey with Jesus. They've begun this infinite 
journey with Jesus. And fortunately for the Colossians and for us, we have a great guide. Paul serves as an excellent guide, and he helps us, and he helps them know, hey, if, if you're going to be on this infinite journey, there's things that you need to bring with you. You need to put that in your backpack, and there are some things that you have on right now. They need to be left behind or, as he says, put to death. He's telling us, especially in the second half of the book, how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the Apostle Paul, if you remember me saying, he, he always takes belief and shapes them into behavior. Well, whatever you believe is your doctrine, it, it spills out in terms of your duty. And so these last two chapters are dedicated to putting things on chapter 3, verse 12, which we'll get to, and putting things to death, which we've been talking about these last few weeks. Last week, we talked about the necessity of putting to death uh, sexual immorality. And this week, I want to focus our attention on just one word, and that's the word covetousness. Covetousness in the Greek is a compound word, which means to hold or desire to excess. To hold or to desire to excess. It's often translated as greed. And Paul associates, you see here in this text, covetousness with idolatry. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but how, how the Ten Commandments are formed, they essentially are bracketed by the same command. The, the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. The last command, do not covet. In other words, don't want something so much. Don't desire something so much. Don't have your hands wrapped around something so much that you've let go of God. It's really saying the same thing and just sort of coming at it in a different way. So we might just say as a quick definition, coveting is desiring so, something so much you lose your hold on God. Sprite has the great slogan for covetousness. Obey your thirst. It's such a great slogan. What happens is you desire something so much. You have a thirst for someone, something so much. It feels like you must obey it. You must have it. You cannot be happy. You cannot be satisfied. You cannot experience peace unless you obey your thirst. Paul tells us if we're intended to take this infinite journey with Jesus, some thirsts have to be left behind. And so I want to turn our attention to really learning from Jesus as we look at Luke chapter 12. And we look at this parable that he talks about uh, with the rich young man. And so let's look back at Luke chapter 12 and just notice the context. Chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. So this is the setting. Thousands of people coming together. It's a, it's a little bit chaotic. It feels like they're, it, they're trampling one another. And what are they trampling one another to get to? Is Jesus beginning to say things to his disciples. 
So here's the context. This thousands of people are gathering. Jesus is giving a sermon or a lecture. He's teaching his 12 disciples and other people who are sort of at the periphery following. And people have now heard about Jesus and they're coming to him. It's such a mob scene. They really want to know what Jesus is saying. So we've got a, a crowded congregation. We've got a crowded church building in, on this particular day with Jesus. And, and as these people are coming and listening, right in the middle of Jesus' sermon, someone's mind begins to wonder. And now I know this is hard for you to imagine, that right in the middle of the sermon, a mind could possibly begin to wonder. But they were no longer listening to the teacher. They were just thinking of, them, of themselves, things that they had to deal with. And a particular man was concerned about his finances and his inheritance. And it got to him so much, he just couldn't wait to the end of the lecture to, to meet Jesus on the, in the hallway afterwards. In the middle of the sermon, he stands up and says, I've got to know the answer to this question. Imagine that. Imagine being so consumed by something for yourself, you just had to interrupt and stop everything to get that answer. That, that feeling is that obey your thirst. I've got to have it right now. I cannot wait one more minute or I won't be satisfied. So the person's anxiety gets to him and he blurts out his excessive concern about money and possessions. And Jesus is a very patient teacher. He stops. He addresses this man and his problem by telling a story. So anybody else whose mind has wandered off, now they're back. Because whenever you tell a story, anybody who was sort of sleeping goes, oh, I'm, I'm interested in a story. That's why Jesus told me so many stories. And let's just reread this story again and pick up a few pieces here. The land of a rich man, this is verse 16, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and goods. And, and I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The parable can easily be divided into three parts. One, the man has a problem. Number two, he determines to solve his problem, and you see the actions that he uses. And then three, Jesus gives an evaluation of how he solves his problem, and that's how we want to look at it this morning. First, what's the problem? Verse 16 and 17. The problem is the rich man has a bumper crop. He's some kind of landowner. He's a farmer, and this was the the year that everything worked. And so everything came in, and he just has too much the businessman had a great year. The, the Wall Street investor picked the right stock. The real estate broker got into the market at just the right time. The, the man's problem is that he has too much. He has more than what he needs. His attic is full. His garage is packed. His climate-controlled storage space is at capacity. And so he asked himself, what should he do? Now, if you hear this problem and you say to yourself, I'd love to have a problem like this. I long for these kinds of problems. I'd gladly trade 
any number of my problems for this particular problem. If you're inclined to say that, then you probably share the same foolish thinking this man has. We'll see and address this problem in a moment, but the man has too much, and it's a bigger problem than he realized. In fact, and this is the scary part, he has too much, and he didn't realize it was a problem at all. The man's not aware he has any problem at all. Everything he thinks is, this is awesome. And so that's one of the problems with covetousness. It's a problem, and you can't see it. Secondly, we see the course of his action. We see the problem. Now he's trying to solve the problem. And you see this in verse 17, 18, and 19. The first thing he does is so critical. Verse 17, he thinks to himself or he thinks by himself. I have this problem and my one sole consultant is myself. Big problem. Secondly, his action is to draw up a plan, and his plan is early retirement. If I can just stack everything up in these bigger barns, then I don't need to plant the fields anymore. I'm done. I'm on easy street. This is the solution he draws up. And then maybe most critically, verse 19, he tells his soul a lie. He's the sole consultant for his soul. He draws up a plan to fulfill the American dream and then he tells his soul a lie. He talks himself into believing that his soul, soul, you'll be satisfied when you have a bigger barn or a bigger bank account. Soul, you'll be satisfied when all you need to think about is relaxing, eating, drinking, and be merry. How many souls, how many people have talked themselves into believing this lie? If I just had this big of a bank account, then my soul would be satisfied. I recently overheard a conversation, and no doubt you've overheard one or been in one yourself this week, in a checkout line about the recent Powerball winner. Some some people split a $564 million uh, deposit. I, I, it's, a, it's a number so big, I can't even imagine. So I'm in the checkout line, and these three people are in front of me having a really earnest conversation about this. And they were very certain that they would be satisfied with just two or three million. Oh, I don't need, you know, a third of this. I mean, golly, if you just gave me two or three million, then I'd just be perfectly satisfied. And you know what that is? That's a lie. That's a lie. But they were sitting there just saying it to each other, nodding their heads like, yes, me too. It's just two or three million. I wouldn't have any other worries. Souls and lives are not built to be satisfied by green pieces of paper with presidents' faces on them. That's not what a soul is built for. And it doesn't matter how many little green pieces of paper you have, and it doesn't matter how many, how many faces you have on this green piece of paper, a soul, a life, is not built to be satisfied as that is the end. A soul, soul's worth has nothing to do with money or possessions. 
Finally, we see Jesus' evaluation, verse 20, and then he has a warning in verse 15. The, the penniless preacher. I mean, all we know that Jesus owned was one garment that got divided up or gambled away, interestingly enough, at his death. This penniless preacher calls the man trying to fulfill the American dream a fool. He has a dream. It's a foolish dream. It's a very strong reaction by Jesus. And I want us to notice a couple of things. Jesus doesn't call this man a fool because he's wealthy. That's not why he calls the man a fool. We know that Abraham was wealthy. We know that King David was wealthy. There are wealthy people who are faithful followers of God. Jesus doesn't call this man a fool because he made his money in some sort of evil way. In fact, when you read the parable, you get the sense that the man was hardworking. I mean, it's hard to be a farmer. Get up early, go to bed late, work hard, and he, he made his money the right way, it appears. Jesus calls this man a fool because of the way he solves his problem. He, he calls a man a fool because the man fails to recognize his dependence on God. That's his first problem. You notice as you read through the parable, how many times the word I and my are mentioned. He, he's completely self-consumed by this issue. The, the man's primary thirst is for himself. He's, he's storing up treasures for himself. And he's made this fatal mistake to live like an owner rather than a manager. He thinks of himself as an owner rather than a manager. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's so easy for people to adopt this attitude that I give some money to the church or I give some money to, to charity and whatever I give, that's the Lord's. But whatever is left behind, that's mine. You know what that's called? A lie. Everything is the Lord's. And everybody's going to give an account for all the talents they've been given, whether they're money or possessions or other kind of character talents or traits. You're going to give an account not for 10%, but 100%. And so this man, he fails to recognize his dependence on God. Randy Alcorn says this, we should be thinking like investment managers for God. It's our job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and then carry out his will. See, you're a manager. You're a manager of your time. You're a manager of your talents. You're a manager of your possessions. You don't, you don't own any of these things, despite the fact that you might have a title to a car. You're just a manager. You're, you're managing some assets. And you might have a lot or you might have a little, but you're managing those assets. You don't own any of those assets. And you're going to come to God and God's going to say, hey, I invested in you. Hey, how did my investment turn out? What did you pour my investment into? Everyone's going to have to answer that question. Jesus calls the man a fool. The second reason he calls the man a fool is because of his reason, reasoning. We said this before. He thought to himself. This is a verse that you want to circle in your Bible. This is a place so many people get into trouble. And whether it's about this issue or something else, they start saying, they start their problem out by saying, well, I thought, okay, it's probably a problem. 
It just seems reasonable to me. I was my sole consultant. The, the, the problem is that we don't, is not that we don't think, it's that we, we think to ourselves. And, and then when we think to ourselves, we make a terrible mistake that you think everything you think is right. You ever notice that? Everything I think, I think, is right. And if everyone would just do what I think, the world would be a happy place. You're so convinced that the way you see things, the way you think, that's definitely the right way. And anyone would see this. It's so reasonable. But that's not true. It's definitely not true. And that's this man's problem. He thinks to himself, Proverbs 14 20, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. See, it seems right. All of my mind says it. All of my desires say it. But God's saying, hey, that way that seems right, it, it definitely could lead to death. Proverbs 3, 5, you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not, what? On your own understanding. So your first thought is, okay, this is what I think. Second thought, what does God think? Uh, everything's got to bow to what he has said or what he thinks. Be not wise in your own eyes. Proverbs fifteen twenty two: plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Imagine if this man had said, hey, I've had this bumper crop. I've never had a bumper crop like this before. I, I think this is what I should do, but let me get some close friends to, to help me think. And imagine how much more success he would have had if he had done that. But the man doesn't invite a single person into his decision-making process about his finances. And let me just say, if you don't have any other person involved in your thinking about your finances, you're in great danger. There are just some topics it feels like you can't say to other people. And this happens to be one of them in our culture. And I'm not suggesting you tell it to everybody you know. But you have to have a couple of people that you think are faithful that can look at it and say, hey, I think you might want to rethink this or ask you some hard questions. Finally, Jesus has this warning, verse 15, take care, which is really a, a terrible translation by the ESV. Because take care just seems like, you know, take care. But that's not what he's saying. He's going, watch out. He's, he's like a, a man who's standing at the crossroads of, of, a, of a train. And you're coming on and he can see you're in an intersection. He's not going, hey, take care. Watch out for that train. No, he's standing there. He's waving flags. He's, he's trying to get your attention. Beware, be on guard. The, the, the word for this in the Greek literally means stare at it. Imagine if a snake got in your bedroom. You would stare at it. And if you tried to get something to, to stab it or capture it, you'd never take your eyes off of it. No matter how you were fooling around, you would always have your eyes on this snake because you don't want it to, to get out of your eyesight. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying is there's a snake. And you better stare at it. You can't ever take your eyes off of it. The reason for such a strong response by Jesus is because covetousness or greed 
is very hard to detect. The sin itself has a built-in blinding effect on our thinking. So you don't think you have a problem when you have a deep, dark problem. See, this man, he's not aware that he even has a problem. The wisest and wealthiest man in the world, Solomon said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. The abundance of a rich man prevents him any sleep. The greatest evangelist in the world, the Apostle Paul, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The Savior of the world, Jesus, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not that we need more, but John D. Rockefeller, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Vanderbilt, the care of $20 million is enough to kill anyone. Henry Ford, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. I was recent this week reading an article on consumerism or materialism in the American culture. This was the quote from the article. This spectacle of restlessness amid abundance. He's looking at and evaluating the American culture and his evaluation is restlessness amid abundance. We live in a time and on this planet in a place that no other group of people could have ever imagined the abundance that we would have had. It doesn't matter what situation you're in currently. It's, it's immeasurably more than anybody could have possibly imagined a hundred years ago. It's immeasurably more than many people on the globe right right now could possibly imagine and this guy's looking at this culture and saying even though they have this incredible abundance they're terribly restless they're they're never satisfied and he goes on to say this restlessness amid abundance has the oldest pedigree it's what brought down eden think about that you have everything you could possibly want. I'm just going to plant one tree. And I'm restless because I can't have that one tree. And I have a thirst for that one tree. And I must obey my thirst. Despite all these voices, all these warnings, you and I think I'll be different. You hear the person who reads, wins the lottery and you say, but I'd be different. If we just had one more item, I'd be satisfied. If I, if I just had this much in my savings or retirement, I'd be okay. If I just made 15% more than I currently do, do, then I could relax. Jesus calls that thinking foolishness. Greed also blinds us. From thinking that you're greedy. You're greedy. And the the, the fact that you're greedy. Is built in a a block to seeing that you're greedy. That's the problem. That's why Jesus is saying watch out. Because if you you struggle with this problem of greed. All it takes for you. To think that you're not greedy. Is just one other person. Who has more than you do. 
It, it only takes one other person who, who lives a little bit more extravagantly than you think they should. They have just a little bit nicer house, a little bit nicer car. You only need to find one person. And then you rationalize to yourself, oh, yeah, this is a great parable, but not for me. But I can show you who it's great for. You see, it has this blinding effect. It only takes one person for you to shift from thinking you have the problem to saying, yes, but there's a person who desperately has a problem. I'm going to get them the tape for their CD or the CD of the sermon. It just has this built in blinding effect on our souls. What a great darkness. It blinds you from itself. You embrace it and you don't notice it. It's why Jesus says, watch out. Because it, it can foolishly lead you into living in deep darkness and make you believe you're living in the light. So I would just caution that if you're walking out here thinking it's not my problem, let's just step back and say, maybe that's a problem that I don't think it's my problem. Verse 17, the man asks this question. He has a bad answer, but it's a good question. What shall I do? I have a problem. I have more than I need. So what should I do? Some thoughts on that as we close. Colossians 3, chapter 1 and 2, Paul says, seek and set your mind on things above. So one way to get at this problem is to have a mind shift, a mindset on not things of the earth, but things in heaven. It's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus, Jesus tells us one accurate map to see what's at the center of a soul is to follow the map of the money. Secondly, the, the mindset changes when you focus on the gospel. In, in this effort to spur on generosity, the Apostle Paul is writing his letter to Corinth, and one of the purposes for the letter is to spur on generosity. He's trying to help this church give, not only for their purposes, for purposes of, of other things that he has seen that are worthwhile. And he comes in in the letter, and he's trying to spur this generosity on, and this is what he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He's trying to spur on generosity. In order to spur on generosity, he says, let's remember the cross. See, the Apostle Paul had some authority. He could have just come in and said, hey, you know what? Give 10%. Okay, next. Let's go to the next thing. He could have just made it a command. But, but the Apostle Paul knew if he just made it a command, he might get 10%. He might not. But then he'd have all these arguments. Is, is it based on the gross or is it based on my net? I mean, I mean it, it becomes self-oriented, even the discussion. And he's saying, I'm trying to take the discussion about generosity off of you and off of your wallet. And I'm trying to place it on the cross. And then when you look at the cross and look at yourself and look at your finances, then, then you wouldn't even think about 10%. 
10% is for a group of people who never saw Jesus hanging on the cross. Now that you know that, that law is not necessary. Because you see the cross and you say, oh, I had no idea that this man would give up so much for someone who was so poor. So now that I see other people or other things that are wrong, I could give generously to those things in light of the cross. We're going to get to the exact same thing in a couple of weeks in terms of forgiveness. In chapter 3, verse 13 of Colossians, Paul basically says the same thing. Hey, inside the church, you're going to have to learn how to forgive each other. Hmm. Well, how am I going to do that? What does he say? Forgive as Christ forgave you. See, you've got to learn how to forgive, not just because you seem generous or merciful. You've got to understand what generosity and mercy has come to you. And then from that, you're able to forgive. Finally, I think it is helpful to have the habit or the discipline of giving. Covetousness is conquered by the gospel, but it's greatly assisted by the habit of disciplined giving. Prayer and silence combat self-importance. The discipline of prayer and silence combat your self-importance. The discipline of Sabbath and rest combat self-sufficiency. The discipline of fasting combats your lack of self-control. The discipline of generosity combats greed. So these disciplines are in place to help you begin to shape your mindset in a way that otherwise, otherwise wouldn't happen. And, and if in case you might be one of the few that would think, well, I don't, I don't give very much now or I don't give now because I don't have much now. But, but when I have a little bit more, I, I'll give. When I get out of debt, I'll give. When I get my kids through school, I'll give. When I get my next raise, I'll give. Jesus would call you a fool. Luke 16:10. Whoever, this is Jesus, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little, they will be dishonest with very much. If you and I can't be generous with some portion of our first hundred dollars, you will not be generous when you make $100,000. I can tell you that for sure. You've got to begin that habit now. In the book of Hebrews, it tells me something very frightening. That as an elder, I have to give account for you. So that's why I'm preaching through the Bible. Instead of just telling you what I think, I'm saying, like, I know I didn't get it all right, but I tried to tell them what you said in Colossians. And I don't want you to get to God and him look at you and say, you were a fool. Whose preaching did you listen to? I don't want you to think that I've got all this right. This is something that I could easily be blinded of in my own self. I have to invite other people in. I have to consider that I don't think I'm in this issue, and yet I am in this issue. 
I'm asking you to do the same. If you follow after Christ, you're on an infinite journey. Nothing from this world, nothing materialistic from this world will fit in that backpack. Let's pray together. Lord, these topics that the Apostle Paul brings up in this letter right here in chapter 3, they each, they each feel like they have a barb, a sharp point, a spur, whether it's sexual immorality or materialism or anger and what we say with our mouth that we'll talk about next week. All of these things, they, we can see how we uh, wrestle with these things. And I'm praying, Lord, that um, we just wouldn't be fools. That we, we would take your word seriously. We would develop habits and patterns. We would look at the gospel. We would look at what you've done for us. And then let that be um, what gives us the energy to pour out in many ways into the lives of other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.